Good morning, my dear friends. We're going to be looking at one of the stranger chapters of the book of Kings today. This is the story about the prophet who lies to another prophet and kind of gets him killed. And many people, when they read this, they're just like, what is going on here? And so, you know what? I'm not 100% sure, but why don't we read it? We'll make some observations, see what is in God's word, and then talk about how to maybe understand this as well as stories that don't on the surface strike us as being completely clear what's going on so if you remember from last week and maybe you're binging this so you just finished the last chapter but if this is coming to you a week at a time um, the kingdom's just been divided and the northern kingdom which is the ten tribes excluding Benjamin and uh, Judah are being ruled over by Jeroboam and Jeroboam has this promise that if he was wholehearted serving the Lord, God would raise up a kingdom for him, just like David. So God's very open-handed, uh, very open-hearted and willing to bless Jeroboam for faithfulness as he did to David. And in our minds, we could think, not like David, David's unique, but if Jeroboam had had a heart like David, God would have been just as generous to him as well. But Jeroboam instead decided to create a false unbiblical religion contrary to Moses's commands is as a way to try to protect his own personal interests as king not trusting in God to establish his kingdom according to his promise but to need to distort and pervert uh, northern Israel's religion as a way of guarding his own life and rule and so we're going to see here in verse or chapter 13 a prophet is going to uh, interrupt Jeroboam's false worship and prophesy against his kingdom and or at least his false religion he set up and then we're going to see what happens chapter 13 and behold the man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel remember Bethel is one of these high places that Jeroboam set up and where he has this feast that he has made from his own imaginations in order to keep his citizens from going into Jerusalem to worship because he's afraid that their hearts will turn back to Judah. So a prophet's coming out of Judah and going to Bethel at the word of the Lord. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. So this false religion is set up to rival the true worship of God, and God sends a true prophet to go and condemn this false religion with these false idols and false high places. And he says, one day, the people who run this show are going to be killed on the altar that they're worshiping. Thus saith the Lord, and you'll know what's going to happen because the altar will be torn down and the ashes that are on it will be spilled onto the ground. Verse 4, and the Lord or sorry, and the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar at Bethel. And Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! But his hand, which was stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. So God's uh, judgment is on the king 
Uh, so he's protecting his prophet right there. The king stretches out his hand, and the hand in Hebrew was also used for the word power. Excuse me. So a man's hand and his abilities were kind of synonymous. In the Hebrew way of thinking, they were very, um, they saw the most many things quite symbolically. Life was more than just molecules for them. And so when a king's hand is dried up, it's by the work of the Lord, it's God saying, you know, I'm way more powerful than you and your your power is uh, broken because you can't move your hand anymore. And so you have this immediate judgment from the Lord against Jeroboam. Instead of Jeroboam listening and repenting and going about in sackcloth, he wants to use his kingly power against a true prophet and God strikes him in the hand. And you may remember later on, you know, um, is it Hezekiah or Uriah? Uh, no, King Uzziah, that's the one. He will be trying to perform sacrifice and the priests are going to resist him. And when he tries to perform sacrifice as part of the king of Judah, um, he is going to have his hand right up as well as a sign of God's judgment against him. So there is some balancing going on here. Earlier on, a king is going to have his hand frozen. Later on, a king's hand is going to um, get, I think he gets uh, leprosy on it or something. But God is defending his own worship through these acts against kings. Sometimes kings are welcomed into the worship when their hearts are right. David performs some priestly sacrifices or priestly role as king. Solomon, when he dedicates the temple, he is making all these sacrifices and blessing the people. And he's kind of in amongst the priestly roles, but because his heart was in the good place, God accepted it. But here is Jeroboam trying to take the role of a bit of a priest leading the worship here. And because his heart is not right with the Lord, the Lord has immediate judgment against him and is protecting his prophet. All right, verse 5. The altar also was torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So that, that sign happens right away too. Boom. So God does these two miracles to uphold the prophet's word. And the people should have run away repenting right there, but I don't think they do. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And the man of God prayed, or entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him because, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place, for so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread or drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. So the king's heart is obviously somewhat struck by this. He, he asks for prayer. His heart is turned to mercy. He realizes that he's not in control of the situation and that God's God's moved against him and he asks for healing and he gets it and then he's going to offer this guy hospitality but the prophet um, refuses it and we learn that he's had some instructions besides being told to go and speak against the altar he's got some instructions from the Lord to not eat or drink or stay there and to come back a different way so almost like he's on this covert mission he's supposed to go and speak against the altar and then sneak back he's like a navy seal here 
And there might be something symbolic about him not eating and drinking in the northern kingdom as a way of saying, like, don't imbibe what's going on there. Don't eat their bread. Don't drink their water. Jesus one time warned his disciples about eating the bread of the Pharisees, and they thought, like, oh, we run out of bread, so he doesn't want us to go to the market from Pharisees' people. But he was talking about their teachings. Excuse me, the bread of the the Pharisees was their teachings. And so there might be some kind of symbolism here about this true prophet being sent from Judah into the northern kingdom. He's not meant to imbibe their teachings, their culture, what they're doing at all. Don't even drink the water of that place, but come back a different way. And you need to treat this as not your home country. Treat this like an enemy's camp that you're sneaking into, doing some business, and then sneaking back. Excuse me. Verse 11. Now this is where it can get a bit strange, but maybe God will give us some insight into this. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the men of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. So interestingly here, um, there's an old prophet who is a real prophet. We'll find that he does speak from the Lord, but his sons are participating in the worship of the high place maybe they're there just to observe as like a remnant but it looks like they're kind of participating with it so this would be in contrast to the prophet from judah who's not eating or drinking in that land this would be an old prophet who is eating and drinking in that land and and it appears that maybe his character has been compromised by what's going on where he lives this is kind of like when lot went to live with in sodom and gomorrah and his his character was challenged. Now he's called righteous still, but his family was definitely not righteous because um, bad company does corrupt good character. Verse 12, And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And, he, and then he said to them, Come home and eat with me. And sorry, and come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I will not return with you or go with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it is said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drink drank water now okay this is where it gets confusing like what's going on here why did he lie so obviously this prophet we now know his character has been compromised because he was willing to lie about what god said and this lying prophet ends up corrupting the true prophet that we've already met now the true prophet shouldn't have listened he should have said something like well god hasn't told me that or he should have sent the angel to me but he is taken in by this title of prophet someone claiming to have an angel speak to them and he believes the lie and he goes with this guy against what the lord had said excuse me and even as i'm saying this it appears to me that um, again, like that command to not eat or drink, to avoid the corruption that's going on in the northern kingdom. Um, and then we meet this corrupt prophet. 
who's lying to people in the name of the Lord. And I think maybe this is just a sign of what's going on in the Northern Kingdom. How come the Northern Kingdom went so bad? Well, even the prophets up there are corrupted. Even the prophets up there, the ones that really are prophets or were at some time, have become liars, willing to lie in order to do something. And so I'm not sure if that prophet just missed the days of glory. Maybe he knows he's corrupted, but he really wants to be in the presence of a true prophet again. And so there's some kind of selfish motive going on here, but he's willing to lie to get what he wants. And this is a problem with the prophet's in, the, in all of this age, but especially with the North, that they're prophesying for personal gain. Now we're going to meet this again and again, um, but we meet this prophet here was a real prophet, but his character is compromised. And his compromised character leads him to lying, which then corrupts and costs the true prophet who is willing to let his command from the Lord be updated with lies. And so Excuse me. So maybe we're just seeing through this this one story here that the kingship has been corrupted in the north through Jeroboam's lack of faith in God's promise. The priesthood has been corrupted by having the king appoint priests from all the places, not just Levites, and on the high places, not leading them to go to Jerusalem. And now even the prophet is being corrupted by this willingness to lie. So you have the prophet, priest, king, who are the established leaders of um, the nation of Israel, and all of them have been corrupted at this point in the worship of the Lord. Verse 20, And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, and not kept the command the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which you have he had said, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road. And the donkey stood beside it. And the lion also stood beside it. Behold, the man, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. So this is where it's... It gets rough for us because we're like, if he's a lying prophet, how come a true word of the Lord came to him? And God is always using sinners, but this is where you see corruption. This is the point of corruption. It's a He's a true prophet, but he, he's corrupted. So it's a mix of faith and unbelief. It's a mix of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It's a mix of God actually speaking through this guy and this guy lying in the name of the Lord. And that's what corruption is. It's when something good has been broken so that you get good and bad coming through what should be just good. And so God speaks a judgment against this true prophet. And it's interesting because you don't actually hear the response of the true prophet. You just hear that he goes on his way, probably feeling like the scummest of the scum. And then a lion kills him, and God will oft, sometimes use animals to fulfill his prophet's prophecies. Just think about uh, Elisha years later, using God using a bunch of bears to discipline these young boys who are making fun of him. But the miracle is that the lion kills the man, and then the lion and the donkey just stand there by the corpse. And usually a donkey would be running away in terror, or the lion would be feasting on the man or the donkey, but the fact that they're just standing there 
people acknowledge that there's some kind of miracle happening there. Um, verse 26. And the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, and he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of God. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. Okay, so this is true. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me, and they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside it. And the lion had not eaten the, bo the body or torn the donkey. See, that's what it's talking about. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn him and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God had buried, and lay my bones beside his bones, for the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. So, so again, there's this picture of corruption where this old prophet who lied to the prophet and contributed to getting him killed um, is now being faithful and saying true things. These things are going to come to pass. And now I feel even conf more confirmed about this don't eat and don't drink, meaning don't imbibe the influence of this nation because the consequence for him eating and drinking in that land is that he's buried in that land. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he's almost like he became a northerner by listening to them. He was supposed to come back and be buried in the tomb of his fathers in the area of Judah, but because he didn't listen, he didn't come back, and now his bones are buried in the northern kingdom. However, that those bones become a testimony of God's prophecy against the false religion of the northern kingdom, and so that's good. Um, Verse 33, after this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from all among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. So what that means is that this persistence in false religion became the thing where God said, instead of creating a an enduring dynasty for you and establishing your house. Now I'm just going to wipe you out. This sin is worthy of me cutting you off from the history of the north of Israel, which is what will happen. Um, but very interesting. So I think the message from this chapter here is that ultimately this is all about people having faith in God's word or not. If you're a king, you're king, but if you don't have faith in God's word, God's judgment will come on you. If you're a priest, um, you're a priest, but if you're not a true priest who has faith in God's word, like these priests who are being made from all the peoples, they should have known better. You know, if they had their, their law of Moses at all, they knew that they didn't belong there. And so they're going to face that judgment for disobeying God's word. And if you're a prophet, even if you're a true prophet and have God's word, if you don't obey it, being a prophet won't rescue you from consequences from disobeying God's word. And so, um, and, and this, I think, maybe even connects with that whole thing that God said about the temple. Even if you build the true temple of God, and God's true temple is in Jerusalem, is in Judah, um, 
if you're not faithful to God by trusting in him and trusting in his word, even that temple will be wiped out. And so God is establishing this theology of living by faith. That is the New Testament touchstone. We are justified by faith. We live by faith. Everything's by faith. And whether you're a king or a priest or a prophet, if you're not living by faith in God's word, death will come to you. And so all of these institutions that God has put in place for the leading and uh, protection of his people as a nation, they become corrupted and the nation enters into that corruption with them. But it all is about whether or not you'll believe in God's word with faith. Will you have a faith-based relationship with God practiced by obeying his word and even a true prophet who disobeys god's word will suffer consequences for by not living in faith i think that's what's going on here so may we all be encouraged to put our trust in jesus afresh who is the lord who is doing all these things here may we trust in his words may we trust in the words of the new testament and live by faith in the word of god which is where all the blessings are in jesus name amen